to the well people shall be the basis of the authority of government. This will be shall be expressed. Always nice to start the show on a bit of ranting and screaming. Um, if that popped up on shuffle uh, on your music player, then apologies if we just scared the living daylights out of you. That was the sound of live artist uh, Michael Mayhew generally uh, ranting and, and spilling a bag of his own blood everywhere at Mercy's first performance night at the Cooperative Gallery uh, last week. Good, wholesome family fun. Uh, this is only week two of the Biennial, so more stuff like that coming up at the Co-op including a performance by The Good Natured. That's tonight, uh, Friday, September 24th. They'll be providing our musical interlude in just a short while. Um, we've also got a gig by Stop Sharpening Your Knives and Clinic, two of London's best poetry groups at the moment, on Saturday the 25th. Lots of exhibitions too. Uh, more details on the Mercy website, which, if you found this podcast, you should know by now. That's the pluggy bit out of the way. Um, let's get down to business. Um, well, wh- what a week it has been. We've thrilled at a giant curtain of ribbons at the Blue Coat, gasped at some big potato-like objects at the Tate, and generally suffered a bit of an art overload. And the first reviews are in. Um, it wasn't Michael Mayhew's blood people were wishing was spilt at the beginning of this week. Rather, it was Adrian Searles. Adrian is, of course, art critic for the Guardian newspaper. Annoying, bland, overplayed, uninventive, despite good intentions, is um, what, what he said about the Biennial Festival in an article online. Um, the resulting comments on that article make for excruciating reading as ever, except for one um, about Adrian popping into the toilets of the blue coat, which uh, the writer actually took time to respond to and confirm that that did happen. Um, he didn't say whether it was a number one or a number two, though, but still quite interesting. Um, it's a bit too late for me to go and check if he flushed. I suspect, given the tone of his review, he probably didn't bother. Now, this is the bit of the podcast where I whisper conspiratorially into your ear. Forget uh, the opinions of Adrian Searle. Um, it's left to us, really, to, to tease out the Biennial's real imperfections and strengths. Um, we're starting with a video installation by Korean artist Yi Song Gi. It's one of Mercy's favourites. Uh, it's a video portraying giant robots rampaging across uh, the city, uh, almost like Transformers, uh, but there's not a Megatron in sight. In actual fact, it's Liverpool's most distinctive landmarks, its two cathedrals, morphed into life through the power of CGI. Now, reading the background into this artwork, uh, the, the artist talks about becoming very interested in the sectarian aspect of Liverpool uh, and about visiting the city a few months ago during an Orange March and overhearing people talking at the same time about riots that were happening in Northern Ireland. And looking at Liverpool, he, he thought that perhaps in some ways uh, the two cathedrals are, are symbols of this rivalry um, simply because of where they're built in relation to each other. And it, you know, he's got a point. Um, you'd stand on Hope Street, cathedrals at, at opposite ends uh, of the road, they're almost glaring at each other. Um, even their size seems to seems to come from a sense of one-upmanship, that if one side of the, the Christian church was going to have a, a big cathedral, the other must have one as well. In the film, actually, they're not robots, uh, like you might see in Transformers. They're more like machines with human operators. If you've ever watched Power Rangers, you'll be 
familiar with what I mean, large robotic seats, uh, suits with people inside them controlling the movements. Um, and in the film, actually, we get to meet their operators. Inside one is the Pope, and inside the other is the Archbishop of Canterbury, and they have to battle it out for the soul of Liverpool. Now, that's not the only artwork that Years contributed to the Liverpool Biennial. Uh, he writes a lot on his website about how when he first visited uh, Liverpool and the Anglican Cathedral, he became uh, fascinated. They've got a red telephone box, of course. The cathedral and the red telephone box are both uh, designed by the same person. And he speaks a lot about how it, it's almost like having a confessional in a Catholic church, except instead of speaking to a priest in person, you'd uh, speak to someone on the other, other end of the line. It's quite funny, really, if you think about it, that absolution could be outsourced to a, a call centre in another country, or being put on hold would be like being sent to purgatory. And, of course, religion in its early history was a business. Uh, people would pay the church to, to pray for them by donating money or land or donating a new window to the church. The only difference here is that instead of donating money uh, through a collection plate, um, you'd feed coins or a credit card into a slot. But that's, uh, by the by, that's just what he talks about on his website. That was the beginnings of his inspiration. The final piece, the one that he actually has in the Anglican Cathedral, um, still takes the telephone box as its inspiration, but it's it's a bit different. Um, basically, what he's done, he's made a scale model uh, of the cathedral and put it inside the telephone box on the floor. Um, on the side of the model, there's a, a cutaway so you can see inside. Everything's to scale. Um, and inside, you look down, you can see like a, a tiny uh, model telephone box again. Um, and that's got its door open. And you can just make out uh, on the floor of that telephone box another uh, model cathedral, a very tiny, tiny model cathedral. And the idea being that, you know, we're supposed to believe that perhaps the cathedral we're stood in is just another in a series of, of, of cathedrals and telephone booths stretching down to the infinitely small and, uh, of course, up to the, 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 very, the, the very, very large. What, what he wants us to do, really, is to uh, imagine in a way that if we were to pick up pick up the uh, model cathedral and give it a shake, the entire cathedral we're actually stood in would, would shake around us, or the cathedral itself would lift up from the ground and move about, a bit like a giant Tetris piece. Hey, here I am outside the Liverpool Anglican Cathedral. In fact, I'm down beside it in the former quarry that's now a cemetery and park. The, the cathedral actually isn't the only, uh, or the two cathedrals aren't the only buildings featured in Yee's film. Uh, the two others are the uh, ventilation towers on either side of the R River Mersey. They come to life as well and have a tug of war using the Mersey Tunnel as a rope. Um, now, I, obviously, I'm down below street level, which means I can't see the Metropolitan Cathedral, which is only about 500 yards away at the other end of Hope Street. But what I can see is all the more impressive for my, my being down here. A great uh, promontory of rocks stretching above me and stretching above that for god knows how many meters the, the cathedral itself and this time of day the lights have come on making it look almost unreal like a, a, a holographic projection perhaps um, makes it very easy in fact to think of it as something otherworldly not necessarily divine or even uh, supernatural but um, you can kind of see where Yi's coming from it makes it easy to see where he's got his inspiration uh, buildings get nicknames of course based on their shape we've got the gherkin in london uh, based on what I see now, it's surprising Liverpool Anglican Cathedral isn't nick nicknamed the Space Laser. That's what it looks like, uh, an ion cannon from the Empire Strikes Back, or more like a, some kind of colossal defence platform that you know, properly belongs in orbit around the Earth.
And that film and that artwork by Yi Songi are in uh, being displayed in two different places. The the artwork with the telephone box is actually in the Anglican Cathedral, which is easy enough to find. Um, uh, the film is in one of the biennial venues. It's in the Euro Pleasure Limited building, uh, which is just in Chinatown, uh, also very central, just down the hill from the cathedral. So you can you can visit both of them uh, in in quick succession. Now, though, uh, time for our musical interlude. And that were uh, that were that that was the good natured um, who are playing um, tonight. If you're listening on a Friday, uh, Friday the twenty fourth of September, at the cooperative space on Renshaw Street in Liverpool, that was a cover um, of a song by The Cure, "Love Song." It's called. Very nice indeed. Now moving on, we're going to have a, a quick chat with Ross Sutherland. Ross is a poet. Um, he's worked with Mercy many times over the years. And he's coming up to Liverpool on October the 16th. He's coming with another poet, Tim Clare. Uh, they're going to be doing a performance at the co-op in collaboration with Hive, the Electronic Music Collective. They're going to be doing a, a literature 
uh, live music mashup, if you like. Um, the reason we're interviewing him now rather than in a, in a few weeks' time is because he's got an event uh, coming up at the end of this month uh, in London, which is quite interesting. We want to get a plug-in for that. But without further ado, we'll, we'll hear from the man himself. Both me and Tim, um, probably like if you'd asked us a couple of years ago if we would have been prepared because just like roll up and do like a, a, a live kind of collaboration with a bunch of musicians, we'd have probably jumped out the window. Um, but like we've, we've just in a couple of recent years, we've kind of just had opportunities to kind of um, to kind of to experiment with that type of thing. A night in London uh, called Tung Fu, uh, which is a uh, uh, a night run by uh, a poet called Ventriloquist. Um, Tong Fu operates the policy. They've got like a live band. Uh, it's, it's the band that Ventriloquist usually reads his poetry over. And every single act on the bill that evening gets access to also work with the band. The only rule is that you can't have any conversations with them until you're actually on stage. And like, uh, after doing that a couple of times and being absolutely terrified, you realize that those events are actually not only are they kind of like well attended and like really well received, um, but they're like really exhilarating for the performers as well. And I think it's because everybody in the room knows it's like a one-off, you know, like that. And in fact, even if you wanted to, you could never kind of recreate that kind of situation again. Uh, and it's based on kind of split-second uh, decisions which are kind of made by the musicians and the, and the poet as well. So based right on that kind of wave of confidence, uh, um, whether it's misjudged or not, I don't know. Like me and Tim are basically we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn up. And we're going to kind of collaborate with Hive. We're going to be, we're going to get a little chance, perhaps, to chat to them maybe earlier on in the day. So that's the night Ross is doing um, up in Liverpool uh, in October, October the sixteenth. But he also goes on to tell us a bit about homework, the poetry collective he's a member of, and what they're up to in London at the end of the month. What, what we describe homework as is basically like uh, an evening of literary miscellany. Which pretty much just means it's our kind of wild card to basically do whatever we want. Um, and we've always tried to kind of mix it up, basically. We've tried to um, to use that space as our scratch night for kind of for slightly more esoteric projects that we want to do uh, and, you know, couldn't find a place to do anywhere else. Uh, this next month, we've got uh, uh, a really kind of bizarre project called The Last Barman Poet. We were basically trying to create a kind of a kind of poetic equivalent of the aristocrat's joke, if you know what I mean, uh, which was to kind of, the aristocrat's joke is just kind of unfunny jokes that American comedians kind of swap, kind of tell each other. Uh, and the joke itself isn't particularly funny, but the way that, um, the reason why they tell it is because it's a really good opportunity for them to kind of stamp their own kind of particular style on a joke. And like if they kind of put enough of their own kind of spin on things, they can kind of make it work. And it's the same thing here. So we, we took like a really, really bad uh, performance poem, which is a poem that Tom Cruise reads in the film Cocktail, if you know the bit where he stands on the bar and says, I am the last barman poet. Uh, America getting stinky on the drinks that I shake, yada, yada, yada. He does this awful poem where he pretty much kind of breaks every single rule of like what you should kind of do on kind of stage. It's just, it's just like a litany, uh, a, a litany of, uh, of, of kind of like performance errors and kind of like a, 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 a bad rhyming. Uh, and so, uh, our idea was we kind of gave that to kind of to, to, to every kind of like writer we knew and said like come back with like a good version of this, uh, and we've been kind of documenting it all on the blog. And uh, end of this month we kind of we're going to have like a live event. Where we can bring all these different versions together and then kind of curate our findings. And like you can follow if you basically go to 
last hyphen, sorry, last hyphen, hyphen barman, hyphen poet, backslash blogspot. Uh, you can kind of follow the uh, the blog as well as the various versions that come in. We've got about 30 on there so far, and uh, there's still quite a lot more to come. I know I've got a thrash metal version on the way this week, um, which someone's already promised me. And also a song version by Brid- Bridget Aphrodite. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to both of those. Um, uh, yeah, so that's the 29th of September, basically. So just to reiterate, the 29th of September, that's actually at the Bethnal Green uh, Working Man's Club in London. Um, the correct web address, I think Ross gave the wrong one, is last-barman-poet.blogspot.com. Um, if you can't make it down to the gig, just check out all the work there. It'll give you a good taste of um, what Tim and Ross are all about, and they'll be up in Liverpool performing at the co-op on October the 16th, so we hope to see you there. Um, that brings us to the end. Um, except for one thing, a snippet from Mercy's Audio Guide. This is basically a series of imaginary artworks, all the artworks we wanted to make as an organisation, but we haven't had the time or the money, um, and so we've created a series of downloadable uh, ear biscuits. They'll be available from the Mercy website quite soon. You'll be able to put them on your iPod, go out into Liverpool, and all those blank empty spaces that you wish were populated with amazing artworks. All you need to do is close your eyes, listen, and they'll be there. I hate your mates. Your mates' mates and your mates' mates' mates. On Williamson Square by August Boxler. Williamson Square is home to one of the most complex artworks of the Liverpool Biennial. The vast, mechanised reinterpretation of the rapid hardware store by Swiss conceptual artist August Boxler. Taking the exact same position as the original shop, Boxler's version contains many subtle reimaginings, mostly concerning the haircuts of the service staff. As you enter the premises, take the time to properly examine the hairpieces on display, particularly that one. You know the one I mean. Yes. Over time, The eye begins to pick out details that weren't visible at first glance. You'll begin to notice how Boxler has managed to successfully reverse each of the original haircuts so that the employees are given the illusion of moving quickly backwards. I don't know what you make of this kind of thing, but I must say I found the effect impossibly moving. The very notion of rapidity is being challenged here, I think. The idea that the world may not be travelling in the direction you expect it to. It reminds me of the time I called an electrician out to have a look at my fuse box. When I came back downstairs, it made off with everything in the garage. Art is like that sometimes, and I don't have to explain it to you. There are several other retrograde happenings occurring throughout the hardware emporium. Week by week, Boxler is successively reducing the taxation on all items in the store, bringing pieces back in line with previous years. The Tannoy system is playing through the career of Don Henley in reverse order and duty manager Chris Nyman, uh, that's him by the stairs, is 
being given a new makeover every three days so that he will look continually younger as the installation progresses. At the start of the project, the makeovers were quite subtle. However, by the end of the month, I imagine Nyman will be wearing so much foundation, he'll begin to resemble an egg with a face crudely drawn on in pencil. The title of the installation, I Hate Your Mates, Your Mates Mates, and Your Mates Mates Mates, again seems to be suggesting this motion of retreat, an opposition to social networks which Boxler ties to the physical construction of homes. Boxler may well be warning us of the paradox of constructing houses to create new communities while simultaneously putting walls between them, hence his attempt to reverse this process. Of course, Boxler may also just be bored and a bit narky. The nail gun display symbolises the voice of God. But I wouldn't look for it if I were you.